So we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago, we're in a season, uh, in a series called Songs for Every Season, looking at the book of Psalms uh, that's right in the middle of our scriptures. And we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago from Ecclesiastes the idea of uh, sort of the multifaceted sides of life, that there are always two sides to things. You think about the gospel, the gospel just means good news. And when you hear the word gospel, it gives you a sneaking suspicion that if there's good news, that there must be another side to that, that there's some bad news that that good news is addressing. Um, When you think about dark, there's light. Good has evil, life and death, planting and harvesting, rejoicing and mourning. And we talked a few weeks ago about summer, and this morning we're talking about winter. And to discuss winter, and we're talking about seasons of the heart, to discuss winter or to experience winter out of context, out of the bigger seasonal picture, is to create some really distorted realities. We've been through summer, we've been through fall, and now we arrive at winter. I want you to know this morning that if you're in a winter season of the soul, that God sees you in this season, even if you are having a hard time seeing him. I hope this morning, if nothing else, shows you that God has made all kinds of assurances and offered all kinds of provisions of comfort for the season that you might be going through. The book of Psalms gives words and language to our experience. In fact, the largest kind of psalm by sheer number in the Psalms is, is the Psalms of lament, complaint, crying out to God. If you're able to, you could see that it's, it's sheer gift that these laments are sitting right in the middle of our scriptures. It's as if God is saying, you have permission to speak freely of what's really going on. It is giving us permission to say you are, you are allowed not to simply pray theologically correct prayers, but you are allowed to pour out your heart to God. And as we read the Lament Psalms, it's like they blaze a trail for the dark night of the soul that we can follow in. Other believers have gone down this path before, and we get to see that they've made it through. I want you to know that for weeks I've been in prayer about this morning, I really pray this morning that, um, that I'm able to be Christ-like to you. And the character of our God to the hurting is really clear. Isaiah 42 says this, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Winters vary. They vary in duration. They vary in their intensity. And they certainly vary from person to person. The same uh, people in a household could go through the same traumatic event and experience it very differently. I'm here to start off by saying this. I don't know exactly how you feel. This morning, maybe simply me by bringing some scriptures to you is like a borrowed coat or a warm something to sip on or even just someone to sit with you while you go through a rough season. I'm going to risk talking about the winter season to people who are in a winter season of the heart, and sometimes that returns some friendly fire. I'm not going to try to be trite. I'm not going to try to be simplistic. I'm not going to try to give you canned answers, 
But I do want to speak into this season because I know in a family our size, at any given moment, there are people in real seasons of winter of the heart. I want to start by painting a picture of what winter feels like. And for those of you who are in winter, you're going to feel a lot of this and acknowledge it and say, yeah, that's, that's what it feels like. And I'm going to just turn to the Psalms. The Psalms are going to give us the language of what winter feels like. Remember, this series is less about studying and dissecting and, and doing word studies. I think there's room for that, for you to do that. But that's not what this morning is going to be about. I really want you to pay attention. What is God stirring in you? Turn, if you will, to, Roman, uh, to Psalm chapter 12. In Psalm chapter 12, what we see is a picture of what winter can feel like. The songwriter says this, Save us, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will arise, says the Lord. I will place him in safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man." I visited Seattle but never lived there. What I do know is this, that our atmosphere, the weather around us, can affect and shape our mood, and it can even sort of cloud our perception of reality. In the winter season of the heart, what happens is we see that everyone has lying and flattering tongues, that there's social injustice everywhere, and that evil is praised and prowling everywhere we turn. Winter hearts don't just moan about external circumstances, though, which is what this psalm is talking about. The internal storm of people who are going through uh, winter is, is almost unbearable at times. Flip over to Psalm 102. Psalm 102 moves from external observations of what they're seeing other people, and it moves internally. What's going on in the heart? Psalm 102, the songwriter says this, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly, for my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Because of my loud groaning, I'm reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. I think it's so powerful, again, to be offered language 
biblical language that has stood the test of time and will stand the test of time to express what we really see and really feel in the winter season. It's reality from our current vantage point, even if it's not perfect theology. After pouring out complaint, here's what the songwriter goes on to do. It's like he wills his thoughts. You could say he takes his thoughts captive, and he places them on what he knows to be true, even though he can't see it right now. He goes on to exalt and magnify God for who he is. He exalts traits even as he continues to cry out. And then look down at verse 18. He writes this. Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. You know what's powerful about this song? That's us. This person's song is continuing to be written down for us. We are the future generation yet to be created in the context of this writing. And we are praising God. Why? Because he continues to release us from prisons. Amen? He continues to hear us and walk with us in our groaning. What is true in winter? Well, it's dark and it's cold. It's not that the sun has any less heat. It's not that the sun is any less real. It's not that the sun is any less powerful. But from our experience, from our vantage point, things have changed. We're going to sort of camp out on Psalm 88. So if you'd turn to Psalm 88, I want to show you from this song what winter feels like. And we'll kind of walk it through a little bit slowly. Winter feels dark, cold, Lonely and fruitless. I'm just going to read this straight through, one, verses 1 to 18. I'm going to read from the NIV, and it says this. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the, places, in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayers come before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. 
All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Winter feels dark. If your heart is in winter, you see things dimly, distorted even. All Christians are promised that there is coming a bright and glorious day when we'll see all things clearly. And until then, it's like we're looking in a reflection. It's like there's ripples in the water. We can't quite make it out perfectly. But winter takes that dim view and makes it even harder to see because of a lack of light. Verse 6, you have put me in the lowest pit, the darkest depths. Verse 9, my eyes are dim with grief. Verse 12, are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Winter darkness hides pleasure and meaning. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says this, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. There's sort of a word of warning in that, isn't there? It's a universal forecast that winter will come. Winter comes to all life. Trouble, clouds on the horizon, a prediction of pleasure loss. Later in Ecclesiastes, verse 12, he says, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Winter has a way of sapping your ambition, avoiding all that used to thrill us. Beauty and courage and knowledge and sacrifice. In the winter season, these all seem meaningless. They seem dry. Winter tells us that this season will never end. And when you look around and see your experiences, it seems to back that up. Winter is also cold. Look at verse 3. My soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. Verse 5. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. It doesn't get much colder than a corpse. He's describing what it's like to be dead. In the dark night of the soul, what warms and comforts us in other seasons of life fail to do the same in this season. Look at verse 1. He says, day and night I cry out before you. Verse 9, I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands before you. Verse 13, I cry to you for help, O Lord. My morning prayer comes before you. Haven't you known a winter season where you're searching and you're crying out to God and your Bible reading and your and your and your digging in deep has become even more intensified and yet the the more intense you search the farther away that God seems The psalmist is describing the winter heart God seems gone And then this is where doubt creeps in verse 14 Why O Lord do you reject me and hide your face from me. This brings us to perhaps the worst part of winter, and that is the utter loneliness of a person who's in the winter season of the heart. Not only is God gone, but your friends are no help. Listen to verse 8. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. 
I am confined and cannot escape. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. If you think of the Bible and you think of sort of people who endure, Job is sort of the ultimate winter soldier, right? He endured storms that very few of us can even imagine. He endured the loneliness of winter, first from his wife and then his friends. Maybe you've experienced this as well. Maybe your friends haven't been much of a help in winter. Sometimes friends try to pep talk us out of winter, right? Snap out of it. More beer guests on? You know, it's like try to, try to sort of get them out of it. It's, it's hard to see you down. Like, let's go. Let's go do something fun. Sometimes our friends come and hold themselves up as sort of this great example of how to, wit, how to beat the, the wintertime blues. I know exactly how you feel. And then they go on to talk. And the more that they talk, the more they disprove their point. They don't know how you feel. They have no idea what you're going through. And it's actually not helpful for them, as they're trying to be helpful, to hold themselves up as, here's how I got out of it. Maybe some of your friends just brush it aside as irrelevant or imaginary, and that's not helpful either. The truth is this, that if you are not in the winter season right now, it is very difficult to enter into, with another brother or sister or friend, a winter season. It's hard for the heart not in winter to really come alongside and be a good companion to those who are in the deep winter. Winter feels friendless, and sometimes we hear voices that we are unloved and maybe unlovable. Those who've been prisoners of war speak of the utter terror of solitary confinement. It's a form of torture in wartime. It's perhaps even more terrifying, though, and this is why I know that churches can be very difficult places to come to and feel welcome in and comfortable in when you're in a winter season. Because solitary confinement is perhaps even more terrifying when you're in a crowd of people, you're not actually alone, and they're actually friends and family, and you still feel the terror of solitary confinement. You have taken from me my closest friends. You have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. Finally, winter highlights your lack of productivity. It feels fruitless. We've been noticing that each season has its necessary restrictions. I spent a winter in Colorado. I lived outside of this state for 10 months of my life, and one, part of it was winter in Colorado Springs. I worked a mile away at a bank from my little apartment. And wintertime, I realized, you have to allow lots of extra time just to go out and heat your car up, scrape your windows, do all this nonsense just to get in your car and drive for one mile. So being the uber-sharp Northern California kid that I was, I thought, you know what? I've got a mountain bike. It'll be faster to just ride a mile than to do all this stuff with my car. 
So here I am with my tie, my little bank attire, and a jacket on, and I mountain biked to, to my job. Um, I was late. <laughs> it was very slow going. Winter brings everything to a crawl. In fact, if you try to get errands done on dark, icy roads, I learned that as well, that things just slow to a crawl in wintertime. You are not efficient. To see a tree in winter, you'd think that it couldn't possibly bear fruit anymore. It will never give shade again. It looks dead, or at least as good as dead, right? That's, that's a tree in wintertime. This is the heart in winter. It's not only joyless and friendless and hopeless, but it feels purposeless. Look at verse 16. It says, your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. When mere survival takes everything that you've got, here's a news flash for you. Ready? You're not producing like in other seasons. When just getting out of bed and trying to make the one appointment that's on your calendar takes everything inside of you, you're not going to be productive like other seasons. Here's sort of an added sad bonus to those in winter is that sometimes guilt and shame get heaped on to the person who isn't being productive in that season. They aren't being the employee they should be. They aren't a very good friend in that season. They aren't giving shade to their family like they should. They aren't being a great spouse. And sometimes it's internal. We're a very driven culture here in the Silicon Valley. Sometimes it's this internal thing, and so we redouble our efforts, and it's like quicksand. The harder we try in this season, the further down we go, and the more guilt and shame can get heaped onto it. Winter is all of these things, or at least appears that way. This is how winter feels. Feelings aren't the whole story. A part of this morning is just to give credence to your experience, to say this is the feeling of winter. So what's really going on? I want to sort of wrap up our time with this. Now, let me say up front, it's way above my pay grade to tell you the definitive answer of what's really going on in your winter season. That's God territory. I am but a mere waiter serving God's dishes served up in the Psalms. But let me give you some food for thought from the scriptures. First of all, you might just be simply in a season of pruning. Jesus promised that faithful, fruitful branches will be pruned. Any of you done any pruning? Raise your hand if you have pruned a bush before. Okay? Man, when I prune a bush, I go after that thing with a vengeance. I chop and hack, and I just go down because I think, man, I don't want to do this next weekend or a few weekends from now. So I go to town on that thing. By the time I get done with it, I mean, it looks ugly. It looks like I was just coming in and hacking away. And again, you just think it could never produce. And what happens is it comes back in a different season all the more fruitful. Could be pruning that's going on. The instruction for those who are in pruning is just hold on. Jesus said this, abide in me. Don't let go when the pruning happens. Just abide. 
Winter might be a season of just abiding. Here's another one. It could be discipline. All sin has this in common. It hurts. Your sin may hurt right now, or it may hurt in some future season, but all sin hurts. It causes pain. Psalm 94.12 says this, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. Hebrews 12 reminds us that for the moment, all discipline is painful rather than pleasant. Listen to the seasonal language here. But it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Sometimes people go in one of two directions with their pain and their winter and their circumstances. They immediately attribute all of that as God heaping on them and and doing all kinds of things. God may be testing. God may be doing other things with it. Sometimes they immediately go to all this, this place of sin. But the other extreme is that people are righteous and self-righteous in their own eyes. They know it couldn't be them. They know it couldn't be discipline. And they never stop to examine. The activity in winter is, look, you're less productive out there. Examine your heart. Allow God. Just talk to God honestly. Say, God, I can't even see my own sin. You show me your own sin. See if there's any wicked way in me. If this is discipline, I want to learn the lesson right now. I want to cooperate with what you may be doing in my life. I want to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness that comes from your discipline. The truth is, all of our lives are producing some kind of a harvest. If you're in pain right now and you look around, it may be that you look around and you go, wow, my choices, my lifestyle, my ignoring or rebelling of the, of the gift of life that God has extended to me is producing a harvest of pain. That's some good examination. Maybe God's trying to shout at you in your pain and call you back home. There's plenty more, I'm sure, but let me just give you one more. Maybe there's just a season of purifying going on. When you think about summer, summer is good for producing joy and fall results in boundless thanksgiving, but both of those seasons can be useless in producing pure faith. You ever think that you're walking by faith and not by sight, but you were doing that in a summer season? And then when testing comes, when the fire comes, you realize, wow, I was really leaning on my own understanding. I was leaning on what I saw way more than what I don't see. Fire produces that. Fire burns away the hidden impurities so that what remains is made stronger precisely because of the fire. What's the activity for that is to trust. It's just to will your mind and say, God, you are sovereign. I am yours. By the way, I put this title at the top. Why Lord? Not why God. Why Lord? This is for the Christian. This is for the one who says, you are my Lord. You're my Lord in summer. You're Lord in fall. You're certainly Lord in winter. And so for those who are God's child and God is their Lord, you can trust in a sovereign God. No matter what current season you are in this morning, you have a role to play. 
There was a Thai man who translated the Bible for some villagers, and then he had a couple of horrific accidents. He was hurting and angry at God. A woman that he discipled came and whispered this message into his ear. Do not forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Do not forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. I can promise you, if you're that Thai man and you're angry at God, that's a pretty unwelcome voice. But wouldn't you agree it's a needed one? Perhaps this morning you aren't in a winter season. You may be a gentle voice to come and say something to someone else. You may be just soaking in what God is showing you in this light season. We're going to turn to song now because every time I kept trying to write more, what happened was this, songs kept coming out. And I kept thinking of songs that we sing. I want you to know that we have intentionally built a rich repertoire of laments in our, in our services. A lot of times those who are in winter season come and they say, Dave, it's so hard to come to church because all we ever sing is songs of hope and seeing God in every sunrise and this and that, and I don't feel any of that. Again, the winter doesn't see things clearly. We build lament into our services regularly because at any given season, on any given Sunday, again, there are people who are in lament, and we want to give voice to that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing some songs of lament together, and none of these will be brand new because we sing them. We're going to darken the room, and I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you to participate or not. You may want to get out of your chair and go just sit next to someone else. You may want to put your arm around them. You may not. You may want to cry out or remain silent. You may want to participate or not participate at all. You have freedom to do that. We can handle it and so can God. My challenge to you is this. Meet with God in this moment. Sometimes those in winter are able to sing things like, I see your face in every sunrise, even though in that moment that's not their experience. That's when you're almost singing this like defiant winter song. I know this to be true. God, help me that even as I sing it, that you make it true, that I can see this again. Here's the beauty of a godly church family. A godly church family allows for people in any given season of the heart to sing out. Sort of a model of complaint, lament psalms, is seen in Psalm 13 where where there's a, a crying out, then there's a petition, and then it ends with praise. A lot of our songs do the same thing. Beautiful things that we just sang did exactly that. Here's my challenge. Some of you who aren't in winter, belt the refrain that sings of the hope that we know we have in Jesus. If all you can muster is to call out the first verse, which is just the complaint, then sing out. I've shown you that you have biblical mandate, you have biblical language to cry out what you actually experience, not just regurgitate to God theologically accurate statements, which may be of no comfort in that season. We can musically extend survival tips from the other side of winter to one another. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let me invite the band to come on up. Let me ask the lights to dim. And I just want to turn the spotlight on Jesus so that you can know that Jesus is the man for all seasons. It's written by an author, pastor named Mark Buchanan. Jesus, overflowing with joy, intimate with sorrow, hospitable to sinners, nemesis of evil, tempted in all ways, Innocent of all wrongdoing, at home in lonely places, the life of the party. One who turns water into wine just because he can. Who multiplies loaves and fishes just because he cares. But who denies help to his cousin John as he languishes in prison. Who indeed refuses to help himself when he staggers in a desert or groans from a cross. He goes up on mountains and down in valleys. He's with us when we soar on wings as eagles and with us too when we can't walk for fainting and everywhere in between. Jesus praise you For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord The word companion uh, literally means to break bread with, someone who breaks bread with you. When you think about Jesus, he's the ultimate in coming to break bread with us. The whole idea of incarnation is that God in his son Jesus moves toward our pain, doesn't retract from us, doesn't be repulsed by us, doesn't withdraw, but enters into our pain. We're going to celebrate communion this morning and with it sort of around these winter psalms and winter season and suffering and confusion, it adds a layer uh, of, of what's going on with communion. This is what we remember. This is what we proclaim. If you're in a place of suffering and confusion and doubt and darkness and loneliness and coldness, that those around you can't even touch it, in terms of understanding your pain, healing your pain, delivering you from this confinement. I hope that you hear clearly this morning that you may be exactly where God wants you because you'll look to no one else to deliver you out of this. All the things you used to try, all the things that used to comfort and appease and pull you out of it isn't working The cross is sort of the ultimate expression of complaint and trust. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Jesus was quoting from our songbook in the middle of our scriptures. 
That's the complaint. The trust is it is finished. Jesus completed the work that God gave him to do. The cross is victory dressed up in defeat. Salvation disguised as suffering. And the greatest witness of God's victory that ever happened was lost on many who witnessed it. I witness in person. Because you and I can never hold on the way we should, Jesus held on. The cross is not only our salvation, it's actually the key to our victory as we walk through winters. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to ask the ushers to come and, um, and just pass the elements. And again, in this sort of intimate moment of meeting with the Lord, you take it as you feel led. I'm not going to come back up and lead us through taking it together. I will say this is for those um, who have professed and trusted in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Something that Jesus commanded us to do is to remember him as we gather in this way. So let's do that as we take the cup and the, and the cracker.